Hello and welcome to Metal Hammer Podcast, episode 20. 20. 20, Luke. We've made it to two, two decades worth. Do you have anything special when you get to 20? Like 18 you can drink. 20, no, 21's... 21 is the, yeah. yeah. 21's a big one, but 20 I think you can't do anything when you're 20. Right, so next week's the big oh. celebration. So yeah, 21, okay. yeah, we, we can drink in America. We have finally come of age. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can rent a car, I think, when you're 21. Good is times. that a thing? Yeah, 20. Bugger all. Just means you're not a teenager anymore. I'm Eleanor, I'm here with Luke and Jonathan today. And we're very excited because it's new issue day, guys. Yeah. New issue day. This month we are celebrating all things guitar. It is the guitar issue. We have the 50 best riffs ever, as chosen by Metal's greatest guitarist. We have a tribute to Jeff Hanneman. We have Darren Malakian speaking for the first time in a long time about his solo project, Scars on Broadway and System of a Down. We have Matt Tuck, Lizzie Hale, Kirk Hammett, Zach Wilde, Nisa Strauss, Tony Iommi casually in there. Yes, popping up. Ben Bruce, Zoltan Bathory. It's pretty much every amazing metal guitarist of like the past, well, forever, because you've got, you know, Tony Iommi all the way up till, yeah, Lizzie Hale. It is, and we have other things in there just hidden inside, like uh, we go to John Five's house and have a look at his guitars. <laughs> it's a little trip around John's house. A little trip around John's house to see his lovely instruments. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird instruments. Yeah, he's got all kinds of weird things, like uh, guitars with green goo and stuff inside them, mm. which is pretty cool. Don't drop it, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, a massive celebration of guitars and a free CD that comes with it all about the riff as well, the mighty riff. We worship the riff. Jonathan, what have you got going on? You've got some cool stuff too. Yeah, um, actually we have one of the best guitarists in the metal scene in um, headfronting Subterranea. We have Lucifer, um, with, now with added Nikkei Anderson, formerly of Entombed and the Helicopters, and now of Imperial State Electric and Lucifer. So this is a band that used to, uh, fronted by um, Johannes Sedonis, who used to front the Oath. Uh, they split up very soon after um, putting their debut album out, and she's had a new, sort of more cult-based album. New lineup for the second um, second album. The album's great. It has Nicky Anderson, who's, one of, who's a guitar god for all metalheads, and um, we talked about the latest stage of their development. So yeah, so there's kind of guitar-themed subterranean in there as well, too. Great stuff. Well, the main feature in the magazine is Clash of the Champions. We just have all these amazing guitarists all talking about the future of guitars. And then, as I mentioned, there's the 50 greatest riffs as well, which is probably going to cause a few arguments, isn't it? We've had our own arguments, haven't we? (laughs) (laughs) Debating which is better, but they're all chosen by guitarists, so I'm afraid you can't actually blame us. You have to take it over them. Yeah, it's the entirety of metal's fault, not ours. Yeah. But uh, I think it's it's hard to argue really with you know, at least the top ten. But it's such oh, an it, amazing top ten. I want to go through it now, but I'll ruin it for everyone. So pick up the magazine, have a look at the top ten because it is solid. Yeah, and then listen to them all. Yeah, you'll you'll have the at greatest once. time. Yeah, at <laughs> once. <laughs> all the riffs, all the time. Anyway, that's on sale now. Go pick it up if you like metal. This is for you. Yeah, if you don't, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Should also add in sub, our second feature in subterranean is is um, bomb, um, which is probably some of the longest riffs you've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, a drone band. They have two songs on the new album, and um, and two riffs on the new album. Riffs, yeah. that's, that's that's all you need, and it will send you to untold dimensions. I've never seen Bomb, but I've heard you know that they just shake you to your core. Yeah, well, I saw them at Roadburn, and there were loads of people um, just sitting on the steps uh, with heads in their laps 
um, <laughs> probably due to some local herb. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah very but, true. Um, but yeah, quite perfect for um, like one in the morning. <laughs> Go get the new issue out now. It's great. What else have we been up to? We went to some shows, didn't we, Luke? Where we did. We go? Where did we go? We went to see Alice in Chains, Eleanor. We did. On Sunday night at, was it Shepherd's Bush Empire? And it was fucking great. It was, it was hit after hit, wasn't it? Yeah, like that set list was everything you wanted and more, really. I mean, name a good Alice in Chains song and they played it for you. Their yeah. bones. And then, yep, down that river. Man in the box. My, my, that man in the box was so good as well, <laughs> with the projection of the man in a box. The new song sounded wicked as well. Uh, what's it called? The one you know. Yeah. So good. it's weird how well that fit in. I felt like I'd known it for ages, even though I hadn't. Yeah, I think because like, it came out what, just about a month ago, and they, they opened the encore with it, I think. And yeah, and the, and the place went off, obviously, because it, it was an encore. But yeah, it fit in so seamlessly with the rest of the the set and. Yeah, the, the, I think the shout out goes to the woman in the crowd, though. The woman in the crowd. Go yeah. on, Luke. Yeah. Tell the story. You, well, it's, it's not barely a story, but yeah, if she, if she's listening, you are a hero. But uh, she came dressed as a rooster and uh, appeared and appeared on uh, on someone's shoulders as they went into rooster and stayed there pretty much for the entire song. And Jerry noticed it, which I thought was which was quite funny. Well, it seems we're having a really good time because I was like, oh no, that woman's wearing a rooster mask, and it's literally a song about his. Vietnam War veteran dad that's quite <laughs> serious it, how's that going to go down wearing a rooster mask and he looked at it and smiled and laughed and pointed to the whole band and got them to notice the woman yeah. he was really like, excited about it which was really nice they seemed to have a really good time on stage yeah, it was a really good atmosphere in there and it was weird in the if you've not been to Shepherd's Bush Empire what is it about 1,000 people 1,500 people mm, it's more than that two, I think it's like 2,200 I was saying it was that big but what I mean what I was going to say is it made, they made it feel quite small it didn't feel like a massive even though it was a big venue but it felt quite intimate really I think it helps because last time they played here it was like Alexander Palace or something right and how many thousand is that that's like 9,000 or something yeah and so the people who were in Shepherd's Bush is like a quarter of that actual diehard Alice in Chains fans everyone was so excited yeah it was amazing and I think it re- that's what made it really intimate was that they were giving it back just as good as Alice in Chains that and probably the fact that their music sounds really intimate too it does yeah, yeah it does it's got a warm enveloping sound it's very warm it's like a big grunge hug yeah <laughs> <laughs> see that on the poster it's a bit of a big grunge hug thanks Luke but what else have you done there you went to another gig that we did not go to I went to see Perfect Circle twice. Of course you did. They're uh, maybe one of my maybe my favourite band in the world. They're just one of my favourite bands ever. I just love them so much, and they hadn't played in the UK since two thousand and three. So I had to go to both dates just to see <laughs> you what had. it was like. Um, I wasn't sure what to expect because obviously they have been off stages for fifteen years. They've just released a new album that's sort of split people. It's a bit more of a continuation of a motion, and that it's got political themes. And it's kind of, it, it harks back to their older material, but it's also that kind of more grown-up vibe that maybe I was maybe going for, and it's a little bit more subdued than that kind of rush that they had on the first couple of albums. So I just wasn't sure how it was going to be. Mm. And um, it was amazing. I went on the Wednesday, first of all, first night of two at Brixton. I had seated tickets, so I was up in the balcony. I had an amazing view. They all kind of, obviously Maynard does that thing with Perfect Circle where he wears a wig and an outfit and is always in shadow and he kind of just dances and sings you know he doesn't walk around the stage they had three circles on the stage which were almost looked like trampolines and we had a drum kit on one Maynard on the other 
and the synth player on the other one. They came on and they played two brand new songs first and then they just launched into the hollow. And I think because I hadn't seen them for 15 years, I just cried <laughs> straight away. <laughs> I was really thankful that I was, I was with a couple of mates but no one was really around. So I was just like, I can have an ugly cry, it's fine. <laughs> just let it all out and it was just this amazing amazing like yellow and orange really bright lights that just came on and the whole place just erupted into screams and everyone was so in the moment and it was just really amazing to see and then a uh, second night was insanely hot i was down on the floor this time maybe that was why mm. um and everybody was just using their tickets to fan themselves because it was just insanely warm it was cool to see the show from the ground as well similar show they probably changed about five songs i think four or five songs and again, just another really amazing night. They're still a fantastic live band. James Ehow wasn't there. He was replaced with a guitarist from Failure, who obviously influenced Perfect Circle as well, and he was really good. I just, yeah, I don't really know what else to say about it. I think after 15 years, it was kind of like opening the floodgates, and that combined with a light show, combined with their presence on stage, was just great. And I'm not the hugest fan of the new songs, I have to say, compared with the old ones, but they did fit into the set well. And some of them sounded massive. The Contrarian sounded really massive. Talk Talk sounded massive. It has this big crescendo that was just really kind of ripped through the venue. And I think because they got the atmosphere going from the beginning, every song they played just sounded really spot on. Cool. I got a bit excited there. You, you, you get a bit, you bit excited. Sort of yeah. into my little world. Yeah, the lovely, little, lovely little, you know, crying, emotional happy time <laughs> yeah. I'm not ashamed to cry though. no exactly we've all, we've all cried at gigs um, what else is happening in the world Jonathan Selzer well um, so Ramstein has said there's a new album coming out this year this year literally this year can this it be true year. we've got six months left it's not long of the year to go it can happen they've, they've, they've even put out a statement saying so well sort of I imagine they'll be rather efficient about it I, I imagine <laughs> so they'll, to the second it'll come out yeah, yeah, yeah. because they've well drilled because they announced that um, show in Mexico uh, on yeah, New Year's yeah. Eve or New, around New Year's Eve and when you go on the ticket site it says <coughs> uh, at this time the band is in the final phase of the production of their seventh studio album which will be released before the end of the year so Mexican fans will very likely be the first to hear the new songs wow Woo! okay so, we have to get to Mexico. Yeah, come if on, I guys. If I believed in Santa, I would definitely write to him asking if I could go to Mexico for Christmas. Well, write to Maynard. You believe in Maynard. <laughs> he's not a Santa, though, is he? Though? No, he's not. But even, but, even wearing a wig. He's even wearing Santa. a wig. But I, I, I'm very excited about this. I, I, even though, not that every Ramstein album sounds the same, but you know what Please you're... Please don't say that. You, but you know what you're getting with a Ramstein album. And I love Ramstein, but you know what you're getting. I don't think you are. I'm going to contest okay, you. Fine. I think because they always have songs. A lot of the songs are sort of narrative based on like weird crimes or fetishes or whatever. And I think every time there's always a surprise. What was the album where they had Pussy on it? That was such a stupid song, so ridiculous. And that yeah. was a surprise. I remember listening to that record through and just like laughing and being like, what the hell is this doing here? Or the song about the criminal. And the song about, you know, the one where they have the, um, the babies with the laser eyes strung up on stage. I f- I'm too excited to remember all the names yeah. now. <laughs> there's, remember. Always, there's always surprises though, is what I'm saying. Well, what do we think they're going to do? When was the last album? 20... I think it was. It was 2009. I've got it written down. Almost a decade. Came out in 2009. Uh, so I think they could have done... You know, music's moved on, I guess, since then. But they've always done their own thing. And it's just 
we are industrial, we are fucking heavy, we bring fire. Yeah, it's not like they're on their own personal path or anything, so it's hard, it's hard to go like, where will they go next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, I know. Musically, they'll just do whatever they do, and it's kind of like some kind of really arbitrary thing, but will be massive. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be huge, and I imagine, yeah, hopefully we'll see them again soon, because their shows are always fucking brilliant. What are you Googling? I was just checking when Pussy was, because it was 2009, I'm thinking it was a really long time ago, and it was on Lieber Is for Alada, yeah. the last album, and it's just so weird that time has just passed. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then it's been so long since there was an album. Yeah. The thing with Ramstein though is like I'm kind of more excited about all the stuff that's going to going to happen around it rather than yeah, I'm like what crazy videos are going to do, yeah. what ridiculous box set are they going to do, mm. um, what sort of mad concept. You know, it's kind of a little bit like Ghost in that. Actually, I haven't said that. No, I love Ghost songs, so yeah, yeah, they do set the tone as well, though. You know, because Parkway Drive who played at the Golden Gods last week, brought all the fire in the rotating drum kit with all the fire on. They've been influenced by Ramstein's live show. And they obviously did, you were just mentioning box sets, they did the dildo box. Yes, and, they, and then Ghost did one. So yeah. with their weird ideas, they do set the trend for people. So what are they going to set next? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Watch this space when we try and, when we start a crowdfunding campaign are, to get to Mexico. Yeah, I'm just too excited. Too excited for it. <laughs> I don't think I can sit in this chair anymore. I think I'm just, just going to... Just jump around the room. Yeah. Well, instead of that, what else is happening, Eleanor? We'll move on. Well, Mike Shinoda says he's not certain about Linkin Park's future. Well, you know, and this is to be expected, really, given that Chester passed away a year mm. ago. Almost exactly a year ago, yeah. And, yeah, as I say, it's, it's to be... Yeah, I say it's to be expected. He's obviously, you know, not... Want, I think he's wanting to even continue Linkin Park at the minute. He's got his own solo stuff anyway happening. But he has said, after the after the um, tribute concert last year with all the guest vocalists from, I think Ollie Sykes was there and Shadows was there and so on and so forth, he said that it le- it, things like that led to conversations of what they'd do next. And he said, it became obvious you can't just hire some schmuck to get up there and sing with us because they won't be able to hit half the stuff. And when he was asked, you know, again, also recently about the future of the band, he said, that's the million dollar question, there aren't any answers to that at this point. So he's probably not even really thinking, oh, how do I continue this band straight away? Because it's, you know, him and his best friend for the past 18 years. It must be horrible, everyone asking him all the time as well. Whenever he talks to anyone, they must always be asking, what's yeah. the future of Linkin Park? What are you going to do? Like, that's exceptionally tiring to have to answer all the time when it's your life. Yeah, it's like, aren't you sad? Are you still sad? Yeah, it's the worst thing to go through, I guess, as a. But then, but then people would have wondered the same thing about Alice in Chains after, you know, Lane Staley died. No, no, very true. And they, and, you know, there's such an intrinsic, you know, greatness to their sound that um, they've, they've found a way to continue. And, um, and so, so obviously a totally creative force. Mm. You know, it's not like in excess, where <laughs> now they just found some. It took a lot of years, though. Um, before they did continue, you know, before they came Yeah, that's, that's true. I'm mean, just, just saying that, you know, it, it could possibly be done. The interesting thing about that as well is that I always feel that William's voice is closer to Jerry's voice than it is to Lane's voice. Mm. Um, but you, they but you, they you, kind you, of brought somebody in who, who suits the sound of the music, you know, not the sound of the person. Yeah, you, but you don't want someone to come in and just mimic. No, I mean, you've got to think very carefully about what you want because he's saying there's somebody who can't make the notes you know and that's obviously a fundamental thing you need someone who can sing the material you're going to write but 
the quality of that voice and the, the tone of that voice is, you know... Well, it's also, you know, you, you want someone who's been through some of the same things that, um, you know, that um, they have as well, mm. too. And, you know, you can't... That, that's not really something that you can fake. Well, yeah. William was kind of their peer, wasn't he? You know, they also yeah. knew him and... That's thing, you probably couldn't bring in some 20-somethings who... Linkin Park. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that's what I meant. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, you can't bring in someone for Chester Bennington who hasn't experienced some of those things, mm. and and also has that um, has that kind of years of, of having dealing with it. It would just it would just I don't know be be a bit weird. Yeah, it would. I so I wouldn't be surprised if like in the same way, yeah, like we mentioned, I had to change them. They take a long break before anything happens with Linkin Park again. I don't think any of them are in any rush to do anything right now I wonder if Shinoda would just do more you know as he's doing solo stuff maybe they'd kind of change the sound and he would do more of the frontman type stuff and then bring in other people to do backing yeah maybe but he couldn't he couldn't do this maybe try and pull off the clean singing but I don't think he could do the screams no so yeah it'll it'll be interesting yeah what happens but yeah I think we probably won't see Linkin Park on stage for quite a few years yeah I think some time and I think that's totally yeah, no one really has any right to kind of completely justified. Yeah. Other news, Luke. Ozzy and Tony want Sabbath to play the Commonwealth Games in 2022. I'm fucking excited about that. <laughs> Not that I'm likely to be at the Commonwealth Games in 2022. Correct me if I'm wrong, though, but didn't this come from the interview that was on ITV that was recorded with Ozzy ahead of the Golden Gods? And the presenter said to him, Would you want to play the Commonwealth Games? So it's kind of fed to him a little bit, I think. It was, it was. But, but it he was, did respond very positively and said, I'd be down for that, basically. Yeah, he said, he said yeah, that would be fantastic. But early sort of caveated it with Black Sabbath or on my own. Uh, I'd like to do that. We're all brummies after all. And then uh, Birmingham Live, I think, posed the same question to Tony. Uh, and said, uh, I think it, he said it'd be a great thing uh, to do to help represent Birmingham. I'm up for it. Let's see what happens. But I think that'd be so good. Just primetime TV, Sabbath just come on. All in their 70s at, by that point. Well, cause considering like May, they never asked Maiden to play the Olympic opening ceremony, I'm not holding out too many hopes that they'll ask for it. No, true. But I think, no offence to the Commonwealth Games, they're not as big as the Olympics. And I think there's more chance of a metal band doing the Commonwealth Games. And there's Games. more chance of local pride as well, because the Olympics in London, you have to take into consideration the whole country... And they did that, that massive show, you know, that included institutions like the NHS and so on, whereas yeah, Commonwealth yeah. Games in Birmingham specifically, like you said, they, there might be a bit more scope there. To... They'd have to choose some of the less doomy songs, I think. Yeah, the, the upbeat ones. Yeah. Although I would like to, I'd like to see um, Judas Priest do it. Yeah. They have that kind of much more celebratory... Just imagine, imagine um, uh, rocking up on the motorcycle... That'd be amazing. Oh, that'd be, be amazing. Yeah, just, just doing laps around the track. Kind of <laughs> yeah, no, no. So, yeah. Oh, so that'd good. be incredible. Or a double header. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Why make this happen to whoever's in charge of the Commonwealth Games? <laughs> I don't right, know right. who that is. What, what's bigger that's come out of Birmingham than Priest and Sabbath? All I, all I think of Birmingham is like Sabbath Priest and Napalm Death is pretty much God flesh. Birmingham Godflesh. Anana Thrak, if you get them to play. Come on, all these household names that need to be on primetime <laughs> BBC television. Got Anana Thrak, why not? Submission is for the week, that would be a great Commonwealth song. <laughs> I think maybe you should arrange your own Commonwealth games. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Seltzer games, Subterranean games. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like the Hunger Games, but um, a bit more violent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, look forward to attending those. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, we've got some questions from readers as always. Do you want to start us off, Luke? Uh, why not? It's quite a long one. Well, as in it's longer than the others. Uh, from Simon Clark. It's probably more aimed at you, Eleanor, to an extent. It says, as a perfect circle have been in town, and I think Maynard insists on the rule for all his shows, is placing a complete blanket, blanket ban on all cameras with ejection the punishment on this season. It's a really long question. Basically, he's saying Maynard is telling people they can't take photos at shows, and that includes cameras on camera phones. And if you take pictures on your phone or with a camera, you get ejected from the venue. You actually get kicked out of the venue. You get kicked out of the venue. He's saying it's just a step too far. Uh, uh, You were there, Eleanor. I was there. Did you see anyone get kicked out? I did not, but I was with a gang of friends and... They were all talking about how two people they know had been kicked out in Manchester the night before. So we were all taking photos outside of the venue sign before we went in because we knew we couldn't take any photos inside. And no one is going to risk... Well, obviously some people risked it. But if you've not seen a band for 15 years or you've never seen them before, you don't want to get kicked out. It's just not worth taking a picture. So we were all taking pictures outside the venue before we went in. So that wasn't going to happen. Um, and it was a bit weird... Um, you know, we put our phones away, went inside. No one really knew if we could get ejected before the show started. Right. So we were sort of texting, you know, I was texting someone about where they were and someone else was texting someone about getting a drink from the bar and everyone was kind of doing it very secretively because we didn't know if we could get kicked out literally before it started because we'd been warned going into the venue, no cameras, no phones, and there were posters on the walls as well. So, I mean, we, I didn't see anything happen in that respect. Then the show started and it was amazing not to have to watch it through someone's screen or to kind of like always be dodging screens. And I I think the thing I didn't realise was how much distraction comes from other people using their phone in other ways. Often there's people next to you or in front of you that are just texting their mates and the glow of their screen is there and they're doing something else which, you know, you look over at them to see what they're doing, kind of go, oh, they're just on their phone and then look back again. So not just having screens up when you're watching I think there's other distractions so it was kind of amazing not to have them and I didn't really think about it too much until afterwards and I kind of went wow that was a really good experience but you know Simon's asking is it too far and it is a bit weird because you wouldn't have your phone on in the cinema or at the theatre mm. but a gig is a bit different you can lose people in the crowd people kind of are going to the bar it's an environment where people expect to be able to use their phone, so perhaps people who've got kids or whatever are kind of expecting to check halfway through with a babysitter and go, oh yeah, everything's fine. Like Lins. You're going to that environment knowing usually that you can use them, so it's quite weird not to, and I don't know, maybe there's a compromise in the middle. It's like, it's like gigs 15 years ago. It was, yeah, and you know, again, they played 15 years ago, so it's kind of in that same state. Yeah. I really enjoyed not using it, but... It was logistically a bit of a pain in the ass in the second but, when I lost some people. I was like, oh, quick, come and find us here, like five to nine. But, it, I mean, you wouldn't want everyone to do that, but it is fitting to the band and, yeah. you know, kind of what they're about and the whole kind of entrancement of it. I went to see uh, a singer called Germanic Alas, this ridiculously scary sort of singer with four and a half octave range. She played Roadrunner Festival. She went even further. It was like they, they closed the bar during, the, during her set and you could not go in or out of the venue during a song. Um, well, that's kind of horrendous. I feel psychologically trapped. Because some people were saying, oh, you know, the, the ban, they don't agree with it because why should Maynard ban something? Like, you know, it's almost like verging on kind of human rights sort of thing. Why should he take this away? And I kind of think, oh, just don't use your phone for an hour and a half, except if you want to use it, go outside. It's really not that draconian. It's not terrible. 
But I think actually saying you couldn't go outside during a song or go and buy a drink or use your phone, I wouldn't want to go to a gig like that. I'd rather not go. I would go, well, I was seeing Germana Glass, I would go see her under any circumstances. And it does, because the thing is, it's, when she sings, and I'm sure it's the same with the Puppet Circle, it's so powerful and it draws you in so much mm. that you just want that pure experience. I'll happily put up with that, you know, and um, if someone also would just say, if you have a backpack, put it in the cloakroom, I'd be really happy. Cause, <laughs> cause, I'm always the one with a backpack, Jonathan. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're the worst. Like, just at gigs, it's like, why is it that no one with a backpack has either A, any sense of spatial awareness? That's me. Yeah, or um, has any role to put it in the cloakroom? And it's just like, backpacks are just like these parasitic creatures that just like <laughs> sit in your back and just drain you of all kind of awareness of your, your relation to your common man or woman. Sometimes, though, you just need a bag to put your shit in. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, but in the cloakroom. Yeah, so don't, then, don't back into people the whole time. Yeah, but then what do you do with, like, your money to buy your drinks and your yeah. plugs? Pockets. No, you don't if you're a woman, Jonathan. Pockets. <laughs> little bag. Carry a little bag. You can put it in your, rucks, in your, in your backpack and then take it out. He's thought long and hard about it. I know this. what you mean, though, with, in terms of if you want to see an artist, you'll see them regardless. Because, again, yeah, it's no, a perfect no, no. circle of said. It's, it's, not, it's not just I will see them in spite of that. Like, it becomes part of the experience. And, um, and I want, you know, artists who have earned the right to demand that of you. Like, not everyone can. But, but I think, you know, someone who is so dedicated to art is men like James Keenan and the band... And I'm sure Tool will be the same thing. Yeah. And also someone like um, Dimana Galas, who has trained her voice to do these ridiculous things. Like, they have earned the right. And I celebrate artists who will go to that length um, for their art. And I think, I think, I think, it's, I think it's rare. Um, and I, but I'm glad that there are, I'm glad that there are um, artists who feel who got to that stage where they can demand you. Like you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do that at, a, at an opera. You wouldn't or any other, any other kind of form of uh, music. And sometimes you want like a rock gig to be elevated to that state of high art. I and, did think um, it was quite weird how some people were so against it, yet claimed to be massive fans. Because if Maynard's saying, this is the way I would like it to be experienced and I'm the artist, mm-hmm. that does kind of call into question, get a bit deep, but like, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. artist fan relationship because if the person you claim to really respect has said something why would you then just be like oh fuck it fuck you yeah but it also you know it ties into this sense of um, I mean you know they're grey areas but you know the sense of entitlement that a lot of audiences have like whether it's like getting something for free I should be able to like take a picture I should be able to like hold my phone up or even my iPad up you Mm. know for like five minutes at a time in front of everyone's face just to and you're not experiencing the gig and what are you doing if you if you're um, you know if you if you're texting if you're taking a picture and you you're just not in the moment and about like a perfect circle you really want to be in the moment and not lose that spell and to go through that for like an hour and a half is a really good experience and it's just like people go on Facebook for like a few months and they go oh that was really great I I think um, I'm a bit nanny state on this, but yeah. <laughs> but um, but not in every not for every gig, but for some but, but for some artists, and I don't think you would ask that for your audience if you felt like you didn't have the right to ask for it. Yeah. Some. What do you think, Luke? Well, I was thinking that you mentioned something, Jonathan, about how um, it's part of the experience. You know, not having a phone out and having the lights turned off, like uh, roadburn and stuff. 
And I was, all I could think of was, I went to see Beyonce last week, and <laughs> and it, it was at a stadium. There was fucking you know tens of thousands of people there. Nearly all of them had their phones out the entire time. And part and which I I, yeah, I didn't I took a, I took a picture to stick on Instagram obviously because I'm a child but that but having everyone filming it and everyone taking pictures felt like part of the experience of seeing Beyonce yeah, if you know what yeah, I mean it is you knew that you knew that well, this you know, was going to be fucking everywhere yeah, yeah. because well, they Beyonce, say, dropped the album that night as well and it was just like fucking hell suddenly social media is full of this event you that's were part of you her were experience, at yeah 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 but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of so yeah, Beyonce as an experience is kind of glittery, so you expect lots of lights and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. But um, it does fuck me off. I don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's is. something about like you know you wouldn't be like you know, but there's something about um, a perfect circle or bands of that ilk, like say Vodruna or something like that, where it's something it's almost sacred in a way. And you know, I'm glad that there are bands who will, who where you can say what, what they do is something sacred and not feel that's really pretentious thing and saying it. Quite deep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I've had about I've had about four hours sleep, so I'm just <laughs> it's getting philosophical. Let's go for another question. Elliot Holt asks: bands that are universally acclaimed for whatever reason you can't enjoy whatsoever. So yeah, bands that I love that you just don't get. Oh, you've got one, Jonathan, that I don't agree with whatsoever. Yeah, it's not like I really dislike them, and I've seen them live once back in the day, and I thought the metal bits were good, but um, System of a Down. Oh, what? I know. I right? Well, the thing is, like, like if I wasn't to listen to Frank Zappa, I listen to Frank Zappa. If I want to listen to metal, I listen to metal. Not this kind of thing that goes <laughs> back, back and forth between the two. And you um, like creativity. You literally just spent half an hour talking about how you like the artist's right to create something special. Yeah, but I, I just, the thing is, like, everything that was special about um, uh, System of Down, I thought they kind of got from Frank Zappa. Well, like, kind of that slightly wacky off kilter. Yeah, I mean, I know you know they've obviously got like you know really deep, um, you know really you know what they're talking about is really really important and is really really heartfelt. And I and sometimes I I appreciate that you know sometimes you have to talk about things off kilter when they when it's, it's such a huge thing for you like you know the, the um you know the, the Armenian history and sometimes you have to go through it in an elliptical way to make sense out of it because the situation itself doesn't actually make sense. And I appreciate that. I, I really do. I just just never really sort of got them as a whole experience, and I found his voice really annoying. Do you like fun, Jonathan? Yeah. Oh, oh, so, 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 so I'm gonna. I like I, you know I like bands like Heat and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> but you know this song is about most of music is about a genocide. So um, ask me if I if um if I'm, I I don't like fun because I don't I'm not a big fan of System of a Down. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there obviously is that context there, but I think they also packaged up, like you said, they went in it in the elliptical way, as you put it, and they yeah, packaged yeah, but, up with something as well that made it suitable for the dance floor. Yeah, no, but don't get me wrong, I understand I'm a complete outlier opinion on this, like, like it's not because I think they're, they're rubbish, it's just that I personally don't get them, and I know I'm one in, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a rarity, and I know this, like, I'm probably deeply wrong. And you know, there, there's some albums where like, I know I'm only one or two people who like the album, but I know I'm, <laughs> I'm only one or two. That's fair. We all have them. What's yours, Luke? Well, so I can't really think of any massive band that's bigger. It's like there's, there's bands that are you know big now that I just don't care about. I don't like Five Finger Death Punch, which I've mentioned many times. But <laughs> they're popular. They're not universal. They're, they're, they're popular. Not universal. But then there's, then there's bands that like they're sort of the big like 
old British bands, like, I don't care about Def Leppard and, st- and stuff like that. And I, I think yeah, they're, they're not even used That's the thing, yeah. There's no, there's no massive band that I can sort of look at and go, I don't get you. There's, there's stuff that I can, I can understand why it's popular, at least. Yeah, but there's other signs liking, because yeah. I suppose my ultimate one would be the Beatles, which I know everyone will just crucify me for. Yeah. I understand why they're important, I get it, <clears throat> I really do, and they've got some really, they've had really significant moments in history and they've changed culture forever, but personally, if I listen to the songs, uh, I'd, I just don't get anything uh, from See, it. I, I have one of that in that case, which is the Beach Boys. Oh, really? uh, see, I quite like the singles of the Beach Boys, but that's all I've really. Yeah, no, and you know, I have lots of musician friends who understand how brilliant the arrangements are, and I understand everything about how great they are. It's just this kind of West Coast, and you know, some of the singles are, are great, but and I kind of, for the first time recently, got understood Pet Sounds, right. especially when I heard like uh, a friend of mine had the. Um, had the sort of special edition with all the a cappella version and they kind of broke it down and deconstructed it and it's like ah and you know it's very churchy mm. but this kind of west coast middle you know waspish thing they came from is so not my experience so I just don't have anything to um, you know I'm not, I'm not a musician so I, I yeah. can't I don't recognise all the ins and outs and the, the absolute genius of the arrangements and they don't really come across to me in any emotional way like how how good how brilliant the arrangements are, so I just I just kind of feel cold at most of their stuff, and I know that they're like one of, you know a brilliant band and probably even better than most people even think they are. But I just for me it just just not, just does nothing. I have no experience to relate to it. Yeah, I don't in, in the same respect. I've got no experience to it and it doesn't give me any emotional you know feeling. It's rush. I just don't. Yeah, I'm with that. Yeah, I'm with that. And at the same time, I might you know. I don't like much prog anyway. Like I love Pink Floyd, but that's pretty much. Yeah, I like warm, intimate prog. Yeah, but Rush. I can't. I can't. I can't. Tom Sawyer's a good song. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just over, overwidly, and I think I just like it from yeah. guitar. Anything gets a bit overwidly, like Dream Theater as well. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just, basically most prog. I'm not ma- not massive on. But yeah, there's, there's no obvious big metal band that you know, I think that I don't like. You know, it's not like I'm going to sit here and go, nah, don't get Metallica. Like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's hard you know, not, to, you know, not to like the big boys. But yeah, what was your one, Helen? I said the Beatles. The Beatles, yeah. But about, about metal or this heavy rock? I don't know. I can't really think of any. Just love everything. I'm not... Yeah. <laughs> no, there's definitely bands that you guys like that I don't like, but I can't think of any obvious ones right now. Yeah, they're probably not universally acclaimed. I'm also going to say I was never a big fan of Megadeth. No. They were the one thrash band I just didn't really c- click with. Actually, I've I was... never, I've not, I don't think I've ever really even enjoyed them live. And I, again, I really respect what they do, and um, and I just just never hit with me and click with me at all. I'm not massively into Megadeth. I like all their hits. But I would not say I'm a fan of like every single thing they've ever done. Yeah. But actually, I would add to that I'm not massively into Anthrax. Yeah, so I've I've never, before, I think yeah. I feel like I missed Anthrax. Like they were really significant at a time when I was young and I never really grasped them. And so I can watch them and go, yeah, that was good. But I don't feel anything from it at all. Yeah, well, they had kind of different periods. So, you know, they had the you know the early Jerry period, and um, and then they had the kind of you know. When they were kind of doing stuff with like rap bands and Persistence of Time, yeah, and that was a very you know Persistence of Time had a very like New York Street feel, urban feel to it, 
so they had, you know, they had very different eras. Mm. So I think out of the big four, Anvax is the one I think I connect with or like the least, I suppose. Um, okay, so Chris Hallett asks, is it realistic to hope Behemoth's upcoming new album will be as good as The Satanist? I really, really hope so. I don't... Yeah, of course. I think it's realistic. Yeah, why not? They did a really good record. Yeah. They've gone away for quite a few years now. How many years was The Satanist? So Five or something? 2015, was it? It's not... It's, 2014, 2015? No, I feel like it's earlier than that. I'm going to Google it. I was at Hammer when it came out. Yeah, it must have been about 2008, I think. Well, the Satanist? No, no, no. I was thinking of earlier albums. No, no, no. The Satanist is 2013. So I'm thinking of earlier. I was right with five years ago. Do I get a prize? 2013? Yeah. Can I have a prize, Luke? Yes, you win this pen. That's my pen, Luke. Yes, there you are. And you've earned it. Yeah, I think it's going to be as good. They've had, you know, five years then of other stuff, of performing, of going through different experiences. I know, obviously, with the Satanist, you've just <laughs> come off the back of surviving cancer. Yeah, mm. um, Le- leukaemia. But, yeah, I think he's exceptionally articulate and interesting, isn't he, Nurgle? It's not like nothing has happened in the world since then. But, and, and, <laughs> and, but also, yeah. it's not as if they haven't done amazing records before the Satanist. No, exactly. You know, it's not like this is their, their breakthrough. You know, I mean, I think they had um, they had one so-so album in the last sort of like fifteen years, and the rest have been absolutely killer. And um, and it's not like the Satanists came out of nowhere. It's just that they were the one kind of I think they're more death metal than black metal, but there's black metal elements. But they're the one black death metal band that um, even if you weren't into death metal, you would immediately get it. And this yeah. is long before the Satanists ever. Um, Got released, and you know they were they were on a big upward curve, you know, before the Satanist got released. And the Satanist is an amazing record, um, but but all most of the records leading up to that, uh, I think the only one I'm not so keen on is the Apostasy. Okay, yeah. Just yeah. for some reason, I, I don't know why. Just like it's like like it's like with Convert, like some records really hit me emotionally, and some records don't. And I can't say, put my finger on what it is. That's missing, but um, the Apostasy is the only bad. Not it's not even bad. It's just just not up to the standard of um, other ones. But every album up until then was like absolutely stunning. Yeah, and you know, the Satanist was pretty much a ten out of ten album, though. Really. Yeah, and yeah, so to do that again is going to be difficult. But like you say, I, then there's nothing has happened that means they're not going to be able to. I think no. that they really want it. But yeah, the thing is as well as like they you know they just they've been doing like a big long tour with Watane and you can hear so much Watane in The Satanist but he just made it kind of really personal um, so I've been wondering to see if those influences are still still there or interesting. if he's kind of bringing new influences in I think he said so I can't remember what the direct quote was I saw online recently that the new record's going to be different or it's going to be not what you'd expect or something along those lines so I do I'm interested to you know, hear what he means about that whether it's lyrically or musically or what but whether he's you know, embracing his me and that man's side and better, better off the kick again, yeah, come out yeah. with a photo. Nah, I think it's, it's done that in me and that man. I don't yeah. think it's not going to put that in. I think it's also like, you know, Better Moth albums, you know, they're so rigorously precise. Like, they're one of the few bands I don't mind playing like triggered double bass. Mm. It's kind of that kind of militaristic feel. But it got that kind of really clinical precision. Um, you know, because they're just monstrous live. And you just feel like you're being flung to the back of the walls. Um, but with something really, really personal, you know. Mm. So you know, it's, it's kind of like 
those last two tracks at the end of um, Satan, Satanist that really kind of you know rise above into something almost like transcendent you love that word <laughs> Jonathan just likes transcending things <laughs> yeah see that I'll, trans- I'll transcend that yeah. what should be transcendent well I think Chris Hallett I think the answer is yes yes uh, I think we're, we're running low on time but let's try let's try and tackle Kyle Finity's uh, oh, questions oh I don't know how I'm going to do this come on we'll have to think on our feet oh, and quickly I can't can't make it's too much right Kyle Finity asks or seeing as a Lord of the Rings TV show looks likely on the horizon uh, yeah, I think that's coming to Amazon Prime. Very excited. Who would you pick from the metal world to play each character of the Fellowship? So I guess, well, Gandalf would be... A, who's the most wizard-like? I don't know. Um, there, there's lots of wizard-like characters in the extreme metal world. The guys from Bong look very wizard-like. Gal. Gal. Gal Yeah, Gal. Or he could be... He could, he could be Saruman. Yeah, that's true. But he's a part of the fellowship. He's just a, yeah, 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 that's true. But you know, he could be a, he could be a villain in the background, <laughs> just lurking. Yeah, I know it's a bit obscure, but um, I don't know if you ever remember like a eighty style metal band called Conquest of Steel. No, no, they no, I'm sure there's one listener out there who does. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but, but um, the singer was about like five foot tall, and he used to play bare feet, so he'd definitely be the Hobbit. That's uh, all, all Gimli because Gimli's in the fellowship. Oh yeah, 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 dwarf. Yeah, but because yeah. yeah. because the, the Hobbit, obviously Frodo, he's like a bit of a pussy, really. Uh-huh. Frodo's a fucking. Yeah, I got him. He carries the ring and ends up disposing of it in the end. He's the one who actually. Yeah, but the entire the way, he's like, oh, should I put this ring on? Oh, I don't know, idiot. Yeah, but he's the idiot. only one who can carry it because he's got a conscience. Yeah. That is a worst. And if you put the ring on for too long, he'll turn to the dark side. Yeah, that's true. Do you, or do we think we need like a group of existing friends slash bandmates to be like Frodo, Samwise, Merry? I'm trying to think of small rock stars. <laughs> Joey Jordison. Yeah. He, he's small. Eric from Martin is quite small, isn't he? Yeah. I'd get KK from Destroyer 666 to play Boromir. Just he's got that kind of raw, rough, fuck everything kind of attitude. <laughs> That you know that you know Sean Bean's characters often tend to have. You got some. I say Sam and Mary. Are they twi- I'm not sure the twins are their brothers. What about Dav and Danny? I was, I was thinking Dav and Danny from Barry Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, just. But who, who would you get to play Aragorn? Well, he's oh. well. Aragorn's like. Well, yeah, I guess he's like yeah, the sort of hard one, isn't he? Isn't he? Like, he's. he's well, I even had Lego. That's the sort of yeah. Oh, yeah I can actually fight. Sam Wild would be good. Sam Wild as Legolas. Yeah, <laughs> she's too beardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but you could see with a bow and arrow fucking people up though. Yeah. Although, although more likely a sword, wouldn't it? Really, is that why I was sword? I don't know who you'd get as Legolas, just some like blonde, sleek-looking person. Come on, and you, you could you could you could bleach Andy Bearsack. Like... You could bleach Andy Bearsack. <laughs> <laughs> Which I was going to say, there's got to be someone from one of the Finnish metal bands who's got like really good blonde hair. Yeah, and sort of, and sort of those elfin cheekbones. Yeah. Probably most Finns. And, and we could have, we could have the entire country of Finland as on on a revolving Legolas. Yeah, yeah. I think he'd be quite good as Legolas. You'd, again, you'd have to dye him. But Matt Heafy from Trivium, he'd be really good with a bow and arrow. Would he? Yeah. He's no, very that. nimble. He does martial arts. He's very like nimble and yeah, swift, very, and like very, very in touch very, with very, his. But isn't he into the samurai? Body? Surely he'd have a sword instead. 
No, he's into jiu-jitsu. Okay. Also, um, I think in feudal Japan they had bow and arrows. Oh, right. Okay. I'm sure like elves can wield a sword too. Of course. I'm sure if needed, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they wouldn't just go. Well, my arrows have gone. Better to stand there and die. <laughs> oh, I was like, oh no, I can't die because they come at me. <laughs> so we kind of picked most of them, but we still haven't really got a very strong Gandalf. What about Popper Neil or Niall? Neil? How to say it? Niall. He is. Oh, he's Niall. He is probably. If you believe the, if, if, or I'm sure there's a ghost prophecy about how old he is. He's probably as old as Gandalf, so. As long as he's not evil. As long as he doesn't turn out to be we're evil. Not, we're not really sure, are we? No, he could, he could end up being really, really bad. Um, but yeah, we'll go with him. I, th- I think this is might have answered answer Carl's question. We basically rambled on about short metalheads for a while. Well, any messages of what yours would be, Kyle? We'd like to hear your suggestions. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see Ishan in, as one of these fellowships. He has that kind of air nobility about him. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. He just um, be the king, good. Yeah, and <laughs> as Aragorn, I'd have um, Rob Miller from Amoebix, and uh, he has, he, you know, he's the guy who makes swords. So well, he, there you are then. He, uh, he's a sword maker, so he, does, he totally deserves to go in all tower crosses and he's in now. And he also has this kind of noble air too, as well. Great, so, um, I think we've answered that question. Yeah, we have a sword maker. <laughs> <laughs> Shouting metal people at each other all right. That is all for Metal Hammer Podcast episode 20. Thank you for listening. Go and get a new issue. It's out today. All that amazing stuff we spoke about, all the amazing guitar features, the 50 best riffs ever as chosen by guitarists, a tribute to Hanneman, Darren Malachian, Matt Tuck, Lizzie Hale, Kirk Hammett, Zach Wilde, and every other person you can think of who has picked up a guitar. You'd get that, wouldn't you, Luke? Yeah, every single guitarist that you, that you care about is in this magazine. It's in this and magazine. More. We have got a lot going on this week as well. We're going to see Night Nails, which is going to be great. Yeah, so the Royal Albert Hall. And I'm going to go and see them at Meltdown Festival as well, twice in one weekend. This will be the first time I've ever seen Night Nails. Is it really? So I'll be very well, we're excited. going to get Luke's review of that next week. Yeah. See what he thinks. Jonathan, you're off to a gig as well. Yeah, I'm going to get every single synapse in my brain blown by Ranta Pazuzu tomorrow night at the Dome. Amazing. Um, yeah, finished cosmic black metal that is just going uh, to send you off on a weird trip. And, um, I mean, Doesn't sound like back. something you would like, does it? <laughs> Not on the slightest. Yeah, and, um, and I'm torn on Saturday between um, Wars in the Throne Room and um, seeing Darker play with um, some uh, band called Demonian Nymph, who are doing this crazy show, uh, all based on ancient Greece, Greek poems, and it's kind of folky, pagan folk thing, and I've never seen them before, so I'm, I'm wow. torn. You've got, surely you've got to go to that one. Yeah, yeah um, I've, got to, well, I've got to choose soon. Unless you can transcend it all, Jonathan, and be on two planes at the same time. I'm working on astral travel. Again, would not surprise me. (laughs) Again, thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and Acast, and we will see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.